Hey everyone, and welcome to Darkcast Interviews. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. DCI is a long-form interview podcast where we talk to game creators about who they are and their work behind the scenes, as well as obviously their recent or upcoming video games. In this episode, I had the chance to sit down with Alex Amancio, the founder of Reflector Entertainment, to talk about their new venture, Unknown 9. You may have seen the trailer for this game at one of the PlayStation Digital Directs, but Unknown 9 is much bigger than just a video game. It's also a transmedia storytelling thing. Uh, there's comic books, there's novels, there's podcasts, there's ARGs. It's, it's really kind of crazy and really interesting to learn about. You can find more about this universe in the show notes for this episode on DarkStation.com. There you can also find the original Darkcast as well as other video game reviews, previews, and features. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at DarkStation underscore com, find us on Facebook, check us out on YouTube, and email us at podcast at DarkStation.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Now on with the show. And welcome back to Darkcast Interviews. I'm Jonathan Miley. Joining me today is Alex Amancio. Alex, how are you doing today? Very well. Yourself? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm really excited to um, uh, to be sitting down and talking to you about Unknown Nine. Um, it's it's just kind of funny. I remember the game being announced back with what was it? One of the uh, the PS5. Uh, um, what was that even called? There. Oh, digital it, it, direct it, things or, or yep. whatever they were doing um it's crazy because now as we're recording this consoles are, are almost out and you know we're the next generation is you know is at the the doorstep as it as it were um but uh my editor on dark station sent me a uh a message telling me that i needed to listen to an episode of the podcast dlc and that was specifically because he wanted me to hear their thoughts about Watch Dogs Legion. But I started listening to the beginning of the episode, and I was like, man, I, I forgot about this game, Unknown 9. This sounds this sounds crazy. I, I want to know more about this. And he was like, well, funny. I asked them about an interview a while back, and they just said yes. So interview, and <laughs> and now we're sitting here. So <laughs> Awesome. Um. So we're here to talk about Unknown 9, obviously, uh, and all the things that that entails. And until recently, I didn't realize that that was more than just one game. Uh, but before we get into that, I would like to get to know you a little bit more. Um, so I guess we'll just start off with, you know, who you are and, and kind of what you do at uh, Reflector Entertainment. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so um, at Reflector, I'm, I'm the... I founded this place, uh, so I'm founder and the chief, chief creative officer, and uh, I sort of lead the um, the initiative on all of the, the creative elements, uh, so world building, and uh, I also spearhead the game as creative director. Um, but also, you know, like the the, the whole uh, this this whole concept of a of a transmedia approach is sort of um, my thing for for a, a while now, uh, sort of a new way of of, of storytelling. And um, yeah, and my, my background is actually, um, you know, 
as as with everybody in the gaming world, it's it's never a straight line. It's always <laughs> a bunch of zigzags that lead you to the place where you are. And I, I guess most industries. Uh, so yeah, I actually um, you know started studying in science when I was uh, when I was younger, and uh, art was always my hobby. <clears throat> you 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 know you plan out your life thinking that that's how it's going to be, but right. it actually ended up being the polar opposite. I, you know, I, I read physics books for fun, and I, I work in the, in the, in the arts. So, yeah. Um, so what, uh, you obviously just mentioned physics. Is that the, the branch of, of science that you were studying or was there anything, what, what specifically were you, uh, going after? Yeah. So, so that was the, the branch of science that always interested me. Uh, I like, um, <clears throat> I, you know, it's almost like, um, at its core, m maybe you can consider it world building, you know, um, I I've always been interested in, in the inner workings of things, how, how stuff comes to be and, uh, how it all interacts together. So I think it's, it's the, um, probably the same approach that I take to, uh, to, to the creation of, of you know, universes, uh, in, like creative universes. Okay. That's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like a real life world building. Um, yeah, that's, if you will. That's, yeah. I, I like that. I like that. Um, now you have uh, you've got a pretty extensive history with with Ubisoft and have worked on a number of maybe uh, controversial games, depending on on who you're talking to. Um, so uh, obviously you were you worked on Far Cry Two, uh, mm -hmm. Assassin's Creed Revelations, and and Assassin's Creed Unity. Um, mm -hmm. First off, I want to say that I love. Assassin's Creed Revelations is probably one of my top three Assassin's Creed games. I don't know oh, why we don't still have old man Ezio running around because that's <laughs> that's just the best. It's like uh, I, I think the the most interesting man in the world uh, commercials for <laughs> Dos Equis came around around that time. And I was like, put him in a hood and have him be an assassin. And that's pretty much what you have. And that's gold. Like, why? Why is that still a thing? Uh, <laughs> Um, but if you could talk, you know, just a little bit about kind of, you know, those projects. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and uh, you know, the word, uh, I think it's a, it's a good way of putting it, controversial. But it, it's, I think that whenever you try to sort of, um, you know, stretch the boundaries of stuff, uh, it always, it, you know, it, it always comes with the risk of some people are going to see it. They're going to see where you're heading. Um, some people are not. But I, I've, I always rather be in that position because at least it shows that you're you're trying to break the mold. You're trying to you know to push the boundaries of of what we currently do. Um, you know, Far Cry Two was was about um, was the first sort of uh, well, I mean, at least in that generation, it was the first steps into you know bigger, larger systemic worlds. Mm -hmm. um, the way that the entire team that we approached that project, we were really trying to create stuff. Instead of having a world that was static and very plastic and beautiful, we wanted to create a world that was gritty, that was living. Everything moved. You could burn everything. Things got, right. things aged. They got dusty, and um, you know, the, every keep jamming. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, but but you know that's reality. And, and, and everything that the, everything that was happening in that world, the way that the AI behaved. Everything was systemic, so it was really the first anecdote factory I think that uh, that was created at Ubisoft, and uh, obviously it was refined with uh, with Far Cry Three, and you know it evolved. But I think that you know Far Cry Two Three Two is really is really where that sort of um, that change that shift happened towards a more systemic player driven experience rather than being driven by the narrative of uh, of uh, the writers. Mm -hmm. um, 
uh, Assassin's Creed Revelations was a, another kind of challenge. Uh, you know, my mandate, like I had a, a couple of mandates, like one was to create a new Assassin's Creed team. And because um, the, 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 the only team that had ever done an Assassin's Creed was the one that had done the original one, which had then done the second and Brotherhood. But they were, you know, they had just finished a marathon and they were they were beats. They were tired. And so we knew that we needed to create something, you know, a different, a different team just to be able to, to not to put all the pressure on just one single team. Right. And that was the game that, that we, you know, that, that was created by that team that we put together in a very, very short uh, amount of time. That team, by the way, ended up being the black flag team. I actually, I actually kickstarted oh. black, black flag before moving on to, uh, to unity, which I'll talk about afterwards. And then um, that was my original, my project. And, and then, and then, um, um, yeah, like that team ended up becoming the origins team. Um, and now I think oh, wow. the Valhalla okay. team. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's that team. Crazy <laughs> how all it, that stuff is connected. Yeah. That's, and it, it grew <laughs> obviously right. like, uh, you know, it, it became today, um, you know, I, it's like that, uh, you know, that ship where you keep replacing planks, you know, uh, after 50 years and you've replaced every single is it still the same ship so i mean at its core i think it's still the same team but i'm, I'm not sure exactly who from the original team is still on that uh, on the team right um and then uh yeah unity was completely different you know whereas um in revelations we had to create a whole new team and we had to like that game was made in 10 months Wow. Um, I mean, that's still, I think, that the record. I mean, it was an impossible mission, and we, we succeeded because we never for one second believed we wouldn't be able to pull it off. Mm. We said, this is what we're going to do. We decided very early on what the scope of the game was and what it was about, and I think we never uh, diverged from it, and I think it shows. that That's why that game was possible. Mm. Um, yeah, and Unity was a whole different issue. Unity was more, um, you know, when, when I went on to it, they, they had been trying to find a creative director for a little while. And, uh, and uh, the game had been started, but it, it was sort of, sort of rudderless. Um, and my, my job there was like, okay, try to figure out all of these pieces that we've sort of put together that, we've, we, that, that were sort of laid out in front of me. How do I put them together into something that, that, uh, that uh, makes sense? And how do I find a through line that uh, is going to be worthy of, of the next generation. And uh, th I mean, I think that Unity was was sort of the first, um, well, two things. First, I, I wanted to get back to it being one city, sort of that thing that was done in, in, uh, in Brotherhood where you have this one single huge city. But I wondered, like, what if you take that concept, but you add all of the stuff that we had started um, you know, working on on Far Cry 2, like a, a lot more more systemic city than traditionally was was a, we were accustomed to in Assassin's Creed. Mm -hmm. And what if we we add so many different activities in that city that the player by by the activities that they choose to take part in, they're actually creating their own uh, path in the French Revolution because the French Revolution was never about one person's story; it was all about all of these different connected stories that that that. Um, that that created this uh, this movement, this populist movement. So I felt that that was the, probably the best way to, to to do the French Revolution justice. And um, this then became sort of the norm. Like they, the the teams built on this and, and built it, you know, like uh, uh, in games like Origins, where it, it really focused a lot more on these small missions mm -hmm. and uh, and more of an RPG element. So yeah, that, that's sort of the uh, and obviously uh, with Unity, we were we were revamping the engine completely like uh, i mean that engine was was 
torn apart and rebuilt completely. We had to do it because of the co-op element. Mm -hmm. And obviously we pushed every single lever that we could for next generation. And you know, I see a lot of comments even today on Twitter with people saying, it's still the best looking Assassin's Creed game, but there, there's a reason for that. Like we, we pushed the envelope so much yeah. that, um, um, yeah, I think it came out of the, uh, uh, you know, like of the oven a little too hot. <laughs> uh, but I mean, that that's a risk that happens when you try to push the the limits of what can be done with technology. Yeah, I actually, I, I just recently played Unity earlier this summer. Uh, I don't know what it is, but every now and then I get on a, a, a serious Assassin's Creed kick, and I was dabbling in. Uh, Rogue and Unity and Syndicate uh, kind of back and forth and I play a little bit of each and, and go back and forth and it was really interesting to kind of sit back and look at these three games of kind of like these three potential futures for Assassin's Creed and kind of the way that the the games are structured and then obviously after that they went in sort of a, a completely different route but also kind of cherry picking from all three archetypes of Assassin's Creed but it, it was just really interesting to watch that like at this point in time there was like just all these different Assassin's Creeds coming out, you know, within the span of one year. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, no, it is, it is absolutely a, a gorgeous game and, and some of the lighting and, and texture work on there. It's, uh, it, it's no wonder it, it basically made consoles melt. It like, it just <laughs> looks so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, cool. Um, so, so from unity, where did your career kind of take you and, and I guess, you know, taking us all the way up to, to reflector. So, um, while I was working on, you know, when I started working on Assassin's Creed, uh, in general, one thing that I, I was already a fan of it and, uh, of the world of the, of the breadth of it, of the depth of, of its mythology. And, one thing that I, I started really noticing was that there were so many stories that we could tell that w- were best told through other media than just the video games. Um, you know, I, I, I actually focused a lot. We had an, IP, an internal IP team, and I actually uh, spent a lot of time collaborating with them on stuff like the novels, you know, the comic books. You know, I, I thought those those guys were great, and that they, they they were definitely having the right approach to expanding the universe. And it sort of dawned on me that. Um, what fans were like, and when we really started paying more attention to these, uh, you know, what were considered ancillary products, we realized that the, 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 the universe, the Assassin's Creed universe was really taking off in, in, in places where the video game wasn't sort of the, the lead and places where they didn't have a very big, uh, console market, like, uh, you know, South America and, and places like that. And, and I realized that what, what they were, they knew that there was a game, but they were actually enjoying um, the, the mythology through other media. And I realized that what we were creating, this mythology was actually transcended the medium that, that is the video game. And I felt that I started wondering like, why do, why do entertainment companies identify themselves with the medium they create when in fact the real value that they're creating for fans is the world, it's the characters, it's those narratives. And, and I, I tried imagining what, um, a company would look like and feel like if instead of putting the medium at the center of its business model, what if it, what if it's, you put the, the world and you, you just use every single one of the mediums uh, like channels um, to tell the story and you, you tell the appropriate story with each medium, instead of trying to adapt um, the story from one medium into another and maybe have something that feels uh, inauthentic, you know, like a great game will not make a great film 
Right. Uh, in the same way that a great book won't make a great film, because, you know, in its nature, a book is about internal dialogue and, you know, getting into the head of a character, whereas the film medium is very visual. Mm -hmm. um, same thing for games. Games are about agency, right? You, you, it, you lose that when you you transfer it. But, but if you build a cool world, there's there's definitely stories that if you write a story for a film or for a book um, based on that world, but it's 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 created from the onset to be to be native to that medium, then you can do something cool. So reflect the, this idea of, of reflector started brewing in my mind as I was uh, still at Ubisoft. And about a year before I finished shipping uh, Unity, I, I had already told Ubi that it's probably going to be my last one because I was going to leave afterwards. So um, and I, I did that and uh, I didn't know exactly how I was going to do this. Um, but I just felt that if I didn't try, uh, I, you know, it, I was I would always regret it. And so I left Ubisoft and I started, um, you know, building this world that would eventually become Unknown 9. So I had a lot of a lot of its core principles, a lot of the, uh, you know, the very basic foundations. It wasn't called Unknown 9 uh, and it didn't really have that that high level sort of um, theme to it. But the core of it, its values, the mythology, all of that was was already starting to be built. And then through circumstance, I met um, I met with um, the founder of Cirque du Soleil, who was looking for somebody um, to sort of helm a project that he was doing. He was selling Cirque and he was doing something else. And um, somebody referred me to him and um, and I met him and, uh, you know, he, he he wanted me to sort of to join this and to, to <clears throat> spearhead the project. And I said, well, I, I do it, but I, I sort of left a company to, to start my own thing. And even though this is an amazing opportunity, I felt that if I, if I, you know, let go of my dream two months after I started it, it would, I, I would never forgive myself. So even if this was the best opportunity in the world, I sort of passed. And, uh, and he essentially told me, look, I don't need you to be exclusive on this. Like you can still do whatever you want. And if you can help me out, I, I super appreciate it. So that's, you know, that's what I did. I, 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 sort of, I started working on the project and after about six or eight months, something like that, um, we met, I presented, you know, this deck that I had created, uh, I had put together a team for the project, uh, sort of an international team with, uh, you know, we had architects from New York, we had um, industrial designers, the guy that actually designed the Batmobile uh, in England on the project, like, wow. uh, like the, the, these really cool people uh, in, in the West Coast and the US West Coast, I, I put like, I think a really, really solid team together. And I think he liked the approach and he liked the deck. So he, he told me, look, what exactly is this thing you're working on? Uh, this other thing. And I, I, I pitched reflector to him. And uh, he told me, look, uh, I have a I have an idea. I have a proposition for you. Like, uh, I'd like you to I'd like for you to helm um, my project, this project and many more projects as chief creative officer. And in exchange, uh, you know, I'll, I'll come in as partners with you uh, on Reflector and Reflector will be part of these projects. So, you know, you know, you'll, you'll obviously also lead that, but we'll have a lot more stuff that we can build together. And that's how it was for the first sort of year and a half, uh, two years and a half about. I, I, I wore all of those hats and uh, eventually Reflector became big. It, it was becoming big and so big that I, I could no longer... Um, you know, where were all those hats? And so I started focusing just on reflector and then obviously that evolved even more. And, um, yeah, that's, that's how we, that's how I essentially got to where I am today. Gotcha. And, and so from, from what I've read, it, uh, reflector actually kind of took, I guess, official shape in, uh, 2016. Yeah. Okay. 
And so have where, I guess, where, where did you guys start in terms of working on the world for Reflector? Was, was the video game the first focus or was it, you're going to work on the, the comic, you're going to work on the, the novel, you're working on the podcast, you're working on the game and kind of doing everything in tandem or like how, I guess, where do you That's begin with all this? Like besides eating the elephant one bite at a time, like <laughs> how, how do you eat the elephant? <laughs> <laughs> it's a great question. Um, yeah. And I mean, and you know, even before answering that, like it's this idea of, are we doing all of these things? Why not focus on one thing? You know, from my perspective, it is one thing We're it, we're, 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 um, deploying a universe, a world. And, um, for me, that, 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 is one meta story. That's one initiative. And then it's almost like you're leading an orchestra and each medium is one of the sections and together they play a beautiful chorus. They can, you know, you, you can, you can mute everything and have just a violin section playing. It's going to be beautiful, mm -hmm. but there is something to be said about uh, starting to combine all of these different uh, sections and creating harmonies and stuff like that. So that's what we're trying to do. We're, we're trying to create something that where you can consume each medium individually and it's completely, it's got a beginning and middle and an end. You don't need context. It feels like a complete story. But then if you consume something else, you're going to get a whole different perspective on certain elements or maybe certain characters that will allow you to, to see things maybe from a different way. And I think that that's sort of life, right? Life is, is not about binary things. It's about, you know, humans are analog. It's about different perspectives. And and adding little bits of information and perspectives will change your perception on, on something that might feel and seem like um, something that you're sure about. <clears throat> and that's sort of the philosophy that we're, we're, uh, we're, we're, uh, we have when building these things out. Now, um, to answer your question directly, the first thing that was created was this universe Bible that I wrote originally. Uh, and then it, it grew like we had a lot of really talented people join the team and they, they sort of like added to it. And, and now it's, it's become something bigger and much greater than what was originally created. Um, so start from that universe Bible. It sort of uh, gives you the, 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 the high level of, you know, the myth, how it works, the, the laws in this world, the main characters, the timeline, the history of it. And then once you have this, <clears throat> this serves as the um, sort of the, the, the scaffolding for everything else. Uh, and then we, we, we try to figure out which mediums do we want to tell the story? Uh, like, so maybe a novel, a comic book, a video game. And we put together different um, talent for each of these different products. Obviously, for the video game, it's a whole different thing because, because of my background. Uh, you know, we, we have an internal game studio. So all of that stuff is done by a team working directly here at Reflector. And I'm, I'm, I'm playing a much more hands-on role in that part as creative director. Okay. But for the other stuff, like I basically chose uh, a writer that I felt uh, or that we felt that, you know, like would, would, uh, would be a good um, addition to the team and that, you know, his or her voice would tell the story best. And when we have that team together, we do a big brainstorm for like two to five days uh, where, you know, we, we, we talk about the, the you know, we, we go over the Bible, we go over the meta story that we're planning on telling during this story cycle. And a story cycle is is like um, it's like a, a season of a television series, right? Think about it. Think of it as um, you know, uh, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end to the meta story. And once you've we, you, it, it's the combination of all these products create this story cycle. And then when it's done, you can start a new one. 
that way it becomes easier for people to sort of join in. And um, yeah, so once we have all those people together, uh, we, 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 we start brainstorming about individual stories and how they all fit together and stack together and complement each other. And once we do that, like everybody goes off to, you know, in their own directions, they start writing a first outline. Um, they send it back to me and the team and we, we review it and we, we give notes. And yeah, it's, it's a very, very collaborative process. And one might think that putting a lot of creatives together, you know, oh my God, egos, and then people are going to be, you know, trying to take the blanket onto their side. But in fact, what we saw was the opposite. These people, they, they don't feel like they're in competition. They, they're oftentimes they're fans of each other. And so it, it, they love the opportunity uh, of working with people from other uh, creative um, branches. That that sounds really cool, and it also sounds like, like uh, it sounds like you're almost saying like Peter Molyneux level nonsense right now. It like it sounds so ambitious and crazy. <laughs> uh, and I I don't mean that in a bad way because I love Peter Molyneux and the Fable Games are some of my favorites. And anytime like somebody is like passionate and wants to do something crazy, it's like okay, I want to see this through, even if like it all like you know just goes haywire and crazy because we need people pushing envelopes and boundaries and and stuff like that and and honestly like ever since i read the first halo tie-in novel what i guess 20 years ago now um i was like this is awesome like this is a great story but none of this story is represented in the games like what what if what if this book was given the same weight as the video game and, you know, not that you had to play the game to read the book or you had to read the book to play the game, but what if what if they were equal? And so you could have, you know, I mean, like you said, kind of going in, um, you know, talking about with the, the Assassin's Creed novels uh, in other areas where, you know, you can kind of really just enjoy that part. And if that's all you want to focus on that's all you have to focus on and that's kind of a, a valid way to experience this world uh rather than it just being like you said ancillary uh yeah. that is just that is really cool um yeah i mean uh, you know there, there, there's a story that it, it's this is not what we're doing it's completely made up but it, it serves to illustrate the point you know imagine you're 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 going to the theaters i mean after covid obviously but uh, <laughs> you're going to to a cinema with uh, with a buddy right to go see this film and um, you know that it's in the same universe that um then a, a you know a, a game that you've played and your buddies um, you know read the book and um you know, the film starts and it's about like this, uh, this task force that's being set up by, you know, it's, it's the 1930s and like you got this, uh, the FBI setting up this task force uh, made up of all these different criminals, petty criminals to, to sort of like, uh, they all have something on them and they're putting them together and saying, okay, we have, we, we can put you to jail forever, but we're going to let you go. There's only one deal, one thing that you have to do. You're going to have to go into Chicago and infiltrate the, uh, the mob there. And because uh, we, we keep hearing about this character, you know, we don't even know if he exists. It's this sort of like a usual suspect sort of, you know, Kaiser Soze character mm -hmm. where, you know, he's the terror of the town, but we don't even know if this person is real. And then all of a sudden, you know, you start realizing, oh, my God, I think I think I knew who this is because you've just played a game. And in the game, you, you, you're playing this down and out like kids that's essentially, you know. Uh, gone to the streets to keep his family alive because his dad died. And as he's going up through the ranks, as you're playing the game and bringing up to the ranks of, of the Chicago crime family, at the same time as you're succeeding and taking everything over, you're essentially losing your soul. Mm -hmm. So you're going in there 
Um, and you're getting a completely different perspective on a character that's portrayed as this, you know, Machiavellian villain. But you already have the flip side of, well, yeah, but it's not really because I totally understand, you know, the steps that brought him there. And maybe your buddy reading the book got a whole different perspective on somebody whose life was destroyed by this this character. Mm-hmm. And so it, what it does is it, it, it encourages and it, it, it uh, triggers conversation. It yeah. triggers debate. And that's exactly what we want. We want to create... Uh, um, you know, a, a dynamic and and uh, a fan base that essentially is proactive, not a passive fan base of listeners. I like that a lot. So, so what is this world that you guys have created? I know that you know not not a ton is known about the game from what I've been able to glean from the internet. Uh, but what what is the world of Unknown Nine that you can you can tell me about? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, the world is about it's um, it's about these nine um, immortals that exist in the world today, and they're not immortal because they're magical or anything. It's just because they essentially have access to knowledge that to us might seem like magic. It's so advanced, and um, they've made themselves themselves immortal in the sense that they don't age, they don't get sick, but you you can kill them. Mm. And each of these nine characters is the custodian of one book. And the sum total knowledge of, of these books is the sum total knowledge of everything, universal knowledge. And they have been um, behind the scenes throughout our history, manipulating human progress, sometimes leaking information, sometimes redacting it and trying to guide us. And it's loosely based on an old East Indian mythology called it's Ashoka's uh, Nine Unknown. And, uh, but we've made it much broader. We've made it older. You know, what we're saying is Ashoka was was this, um, you know, Indian king that essentially stumbled upon the nine, but the nine have been around for much, much longer, and they're across cultures. And, uh, and it's all about this mystery, about like this knowledge hidden in plain sight, these secrets, there's these secret warring societies that are essentially fighting for this knowledge that can essentially sh- change the world um, for the good or bad. And what's really cool about our world is that this is you, you got to see this as the almost like the anti superhero um, universe, mm-hmm. whereas in, in the superhero mythology, you got these people that have that are special that have these powers that are we're counting on them to save us as, as human beings. This is the opposite. This is about each and every one of us trying to find that within ourselves and taking responsibility for this stuff that is happening because superheroes aren't going to swoosh down from the sky and save us. If we don't transcend our inherent flaws as a species and as individuals, we will essentially, you know, go the way of the dodo. And uh, that's at its core. That's what it's about. But obviously it's all about this, you know, international intrigue, uh, secret societies, ancient knowledge, um, you know, ancient societies that might've been more advanced. It's all about, uh, a very it's exploring the richness of history and uh and uh, how that plays on our current uh situation as as you know um, people that inhabit this planet okay so so i was gonna say my, my initial reaction and in kind of watching the, the trailers for each of the different um parts of the universe uh was this kind of weird um crossroad between assassin's creed and the show heroes and i feel like i'm not too far off there so (laughs) yeah you got a little bit of that a little bit of x files Uh, you know it's uh yeah it's uh definitely uh all of those vibes 
And uh, yeah, and, and I think we really have a, a very cool and fresh um, point of view on it. So, so what can you tell me about? I guess just, uh, I guess a brief overview of the comic, the the podcast, the novels, and then the, um, mm -hmm. I, the was it chapters, the the browser based game. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. So um, the novel, it's actually a trilogy, and uh, in the novel, you follow this character called Andy, and she's a, a physics student, and uh, she gets sort of embroiled in this. Uh, big mystery because her mentor um, gets killed and she receives a letter um, that essentially gives her instructions to um, to go and get something and deliver it to some to, to one of his contacts and that event sort of sets her on this this worldwide I would say treasure hunt but mix that with uh, with riddles and she's following this device is essentially leading her all over the world. And she's trying to break the cipher to open this device called a star phone. And um, as she's doing this, uh, she's learning about that in the world today, there exists two groups of people that are very powerful and she doesn't really know, you know, which one is good or bad, or are they really good or bad? Or, you know, do they just have different perspectives? And these two groups are essentially fighting and trying to, 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 to seize this ancient knowledge. Um, so that's what the, the the book is about, and the role it plays in this whole world building. It's it's really an introduction to the world um, in in a very slow pace, in the sense that it's all about Andy and her story, and the the world we let it we let it form slowly uh, through the experience. So you're learning about the very basics of our world. You're learning about who the leap year society is, who the ascendants are, how they play together, and and we're really drip feeding all of this. Uh, this really cool and deep lore, um, but we're telling it through um, uh, the format of a thriller. Okay. Uh, and then you have the comic book series. The comic book series is about Jaden Crow. Um, this character, he he's uh, he's an American, but he lives he's in his twenties, lives in London, and ever since he was a kid, he's felt this connection to a strange other world. When he was a kid, it was just and, and there's this person that keeps talking to him and as a kid it just you know seemed like it was his imaginary friend and this world was just you know some kid with a vivid imagination but as he gets older he this shit starts really getting you know like uh, you know he's this is worrisome so he's medicated you know thinks he's schizophrenic and one of his friends his best friend uh, is essentially following um this big international event where this this group of mysterious uh people call themselves the leaker society are essentially going public. And they say that, you know, we were a secret society, but now we're going to go public and we're going to be, yeah, we're still going to be secretive. You know, we're going to be a society with secrets, but we're going to be very much public because, you know, we've gotten to a point humanity. We need to, to make a stand to take a stand. And we need uh, the stuff, some of the stuff that we know people need to know. And um, you know, Jaden realizes that his whole um, connection to this strange world and this character is completely connected to the Leaper Society, to the Ascendants, and to a lot of that deep lore. And it connects to events of the book. It connects to events of the video game. Uh, and it's a 12-issue series. Um, we have a podcast. And the podcast, uh, we've only released the first little batch of three episodes as a teaser. 
And uh, I love the podcast. It's it. Think of it like a modern day X Files in the sense, you know, remove the aliens and the government, mm -hmm. keep the the cool, uh, you know, monster of the week almost episodes, okay. and that whole cool dynamic between two characters. So it's set in the U.S. and it's these two young uh, podcasters that are essentially um, going over the states. You know, like uh, you know the, the 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 lead guy called Blake. He says, look, he puts out this thing saying, look, I I, I experienced some really strange stuff. And I know that the world is much weirder than we give it credit for. And I know there's other people out there that know what I mean. So tell me your weird stories. Uh, I'll come there. I'll visit. I'll, I'll listen. And as they're doing this, uh, you know, going across the states and essentially um, being witnessed, all of these strange things that are essentially related to the, you know, to the same, the strange, the same strange dimension that Blake has a contact with, which we call the fold. And it's sort of deeply connected to the, the mechanics of, of how the, the sort of the occult or the supernatural works in the unknown nine. It's really a, a glimpse into that, into, into the limits of, of the weirdness. And as they're investigating these things, they, at one point they realize that they're maybe being led you know, maybe there's some a group operating and sending them to these places. And as they start investigating, they really start feeling that there's a group that's leading them and they're following them. And who are they and what exactly are they trying to lead them to and what are their ultimate um, ambitions and goals? And uh, it connects through the game uh, to the game through a character. It connects uh, to you know, the comic book and the novel through uh, the Leaper Society and the Ascendants. And there's some characters that sort of like uh, go from one to the other, um, you know, characters that are leads in one might be minor characters in the other, sure. um, but, but they're connected. Um, uh, chapters is, uh, it, it goes with this idea that the Leaper Society is going public. And so what they're saying is, look, this stuff is real. It's not an IP. It's not, uh, you know, this fictitious world. There, there really is something the world is more than, than, than we give it credit for. There's, there's stuff hidden in the folds of reality. And uh, as humans become more and more advanced, maybe it's time we start noticing that. And, and there's ways of actually accessing that, that knowledge and the information that's hidden there. And what the, what the Leaper Society is saying is, come to our website, join us, become a quester, and we'll send you on missions. And we'll, we'll give you these riddles and we'll start uh, letting you into the, you know, into into our secrets, and depending on how you perform and how much, you know, um, progress you make, well, maybe we're going to trust you more, and we're going to show you just a little bit more of of what happens behind, you know, the curtains of of, of reality and the veil that's been, you know, essentially pulled over your eyes as as uh, human beings. Um, and the game is really, uh, it's really. Uh, um, a very uh, it, it's a it's a it's a converging lens to a lot of these narratives, and I don't want to go too much into it because we're still way off from you know talking about it. Right. But mm -hmm. I, I I can tell you that it, the game is is very very weighty in the mythology in the sense that there's a lot of stuff in there that you know will even if it's not set in the same timeline as as the other stuff, you'll see how that converges with a lot of different things, and it, I think it's done in a clever way where. It, the way it converges, I think, will, I think, take people by surprise. 
And um, yeah, so what I can tell you about the game, though, is it, it is an action adventure game. It's, okay. it's a narrative driven event, action adventure game, though, you know, a lot of times when you say narrative driven, it means, you know, no gameplay. This is not the case. We have a team that because of our pedigree, you know, people from Assassin's Creed, Far Cry, Batman, Tomb Raider, um, just to name a few of, of, of the games that, uh, that our team has uh, worked on. So because of that, you know, we, we have a, a strong um strong experience in, 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 you know, either open world games or very gameplay centric uh, games. Mm -hmm. So even if it is a narrative driven game, we are, uh, I think we'll, we'll have a very original and cool, uh, you know, gameplay mechanics. Um, yeah. So that's pretty much um, what am I missing? Um, well, th there's other products, but we haven't really talked about them very much yet. So I think it'd be a bit premature to start uh, giving, you know, like insights or outlines, but th there's a lot more. So while while this universe is at least a trilogy of novels, comic book podcasts, browser ARG kind of game, and then obviously a um, you know console PC game, it's also potentially and hopefully more. Yeah. Um, okay. There's one thing that I can mention. Um, you know, we, we we were planning on taking over South by Southwest uh, this year. Uh, we had prepared, I think, probably one of certainly if not the most, one of the most ambitious live activations ever attempted. It was, how do you bring a universe like this to people in real life? And how do you have them be part of it? It was, honestly, it was something that was literally mind-boggling. And uh, a, a week before, um, before uh, South by Southwest, COVID. And so we had people on the <laughs> ground there that were... Yeah, our, our job became like let's put this stuff in crates and hope for the best. Yeah. And everybody got got out of there fine, and nobody was got sick, and nobody, you know. So so that that was the main priority. But my point is, there, we still have something that I think is really, really, really cool uh, that we we haven't been able to show people. So hopefully, um, once this this whole pandemic is under control and people feel safe and they are safe, maybe we can uh, give it another another try. Okay. Very cool. Um, can you tell me anything about the the main character of the the game of, of Awakening, or uh, more about the fold, or uh, yeah, anything? Yeah. So uh, the main protagonist of Awakening is a woman called Haruna. She's uh, of uh, East Indian descent, and um, you know she's somebody that uh, that uh, grew up in the streets of Kolkata, which uh, you might know it as Calcutta, but it's it, it, you know if you use the local terminology, it's Kolkata. Um, and, uh, she grew up in the streets, uh, sort of like always fended for herself. She's always had a connection to, um, something that she always thought was, um, you know, um, she always saw it as a, a bad thing, a negative thing. She, she could see things, she could see things almost before they happened. She could, uh, she, she could peer into a world that looked a little different than ours, like a sort of this weird veil that, that falls over our world. And, um, and uh, the story is all about her. It's all about uh, her journey. Um, it, it's a very personal quest. She's uh, she's searching for uh, her mentor, but that that journey turns into something completely different. So we started off as something very classic, but the way that the game unfolds uh, is, I think, where we 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 try to you know shake things up a little bit in terms of the narrative structure and in, in terms of the story. So it, it, it starts off with one thing, turns into something else, and then you realize that it was something completely different all along. And I think this is this is the kind of um, I think this is the kind of um, layered method, narrative method that we really like to play with uh, um, uh, in the under nine. Uh, 
Uh, now, the fold. Um, the fold is a is a is a dimension. So it's not there's nothing magical about it. It's you know if you if you you know read um, a lot about like let's say quantum physics or the you know a lot of the theories that are trying to explain what reality was or is. Um, you know some people. Uh, some physicists think that reality is actually two dimensions, that the third one is an illusion, that we're, we're actually in a distorted two-dimensional world. Um, you know, other scientists believe that it's the opposite. We live in an 11-dimensional world. You know, time is one of them, and then there's, there's different, you know, there's, uh, you know, X, Y, Z, and then there's these uh, small dimensions that are sort of like wrapped up around each of the three major, major dimensions. And then there's, you know, we need, a, we need another one for it to, to mathematically work. Um, you know, and, and there, there's many different um, ways of seeing reality. And what we're saying with Unknown 9 is that there is one uh, dimension that is, it overlaps our own, but we can't see it uh, in, in normal circumstances. Some people can naturally see it. Some people will access it in dreams uh, or in meditation or under the influence of certain psychotropes, for example. Um, and and some people could actually um, visit it at will. And it's not a physical dimension. Think of it more like a dimension of thought and concept. So the deeper you go into the fold, the more abstract and weird it becomes. And things are possible there that are not possible in the real world. And there's this, uh, this form of energy that exists within the fold. We call it umbric energy. And, and uh, People that are able to manipulate this this uh, this this wavelength this uh, of energy uh, can do things that are really um, weird and spectacular. And this is the sort of stuff that we've started teasing with. Uh, if you watch the teaser trailer for Unknown Nine, um, uh, for Awakening, the, the the video game, so it's something that you can sort of start seeing there. But um, as as this announcement unfolds and we show a little bit more. You'll start getting a real sense of not only uh, you know what how the fold works, how, how umbric energy works, but the extent of the stuff that you can actually do when uh, you know how to manipulate it. It's really cool. That is really cool. Um, I don't expect you to actually answer this, but in, in watching the trailer, it kind of reminds me of the uh, the spectral realm from the Legacy of Kane Soul Reaver games. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm just gonna you know, in my heart, hope that there's some like puzzles and stuff with shifting in between realms and whatnot. But like I said, that that's just me. You don't have to confirm or deny anything. <laughs> um, so where, where is the game in, in terms of kind of development uh, as much as you want to say, I know sometimes it's difficult to put labels on things because of some different studios can mean different things by alpha or beta or whatever the case may be. And then further people can construe different things by uh, putting, putting different terminologies on there, but kind of where ish is the game. And, and then how have you guys been doing in terms of dealing with and adapting to the pandemic that we're currently in is, is everybody well and is every, how are, how are things going? Yeah, I think things are well. And uh, we've actually, we're lucky enough to be, um, you know, a relatively small studio. So it was manageable to, to, to sort of um, switch to remote working. And um, <clears throat> I think that, you know, it, it really depends. It, as with everything, some people uh, are fine and some people actually are thriving because they're, they're more productive and they can just put their headphones on. And other people, um, you know, the more social people maybe miss that direct interaction and 
those people that, you know, maybe have families and small children and, and restrained spaces, you know, maybe find that even harder because it's, it's hard to focus when you, uh, you know, you know, you have a three-year-old jumping around and, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, stuff like that. Also, you know, the fact that, you know, we're, we're, we're with our respective loved ones, you know, in confined spaces for extended amount of times also takes its toll on couples and stuff like that. So all of that stuff is, is what we were currently dealing with that we, you know, never had to deal with before, um, you know, as a, as a company, but I have to say like, the, the, in terms of our traction, the way that people are working together, the way that we're collaborating, that's working great. I'm, I'm actually pleasantly surprised as to just how much the team has been able to pull together and, and keep moving forward, uh, you know, and almost like identical pace to before. Um, so as for where the game is at, yeah, like I, I don't like qualifying that stuff just because, as you said, it means very different things. And, you know, even I'll give you an example. One could say, um, you know, oh yeah, we're alpha, but then how long are you going to remain alpha before you feel that you're beta? So even that could be a two-year thing. So right. even saying a term like that doesn't really mean anything related to where you really are and, you know, how long it's going to take to ship. So what I can tell you is we've been working on this for, you know, maybe uh, a couple of years and, uh, you know, from its inception, trying, you know, the, ba the first baby steps of trying to figure out what the you know, the core of the game is going to be about with the narrative, all that stuff. And right now we're in a very good place. We, we uh, you know, we, we have a very senior team, which means that, um, you know, it, it, it's always surprising to me how you, you can, the difference between a junior team and a senior team happens, um, you know, you, it's most noticeable when you get close to a certain deadline, how things converge and think things seem to magically just like line up, mm -hmm. but that, that I know how, hard how easy that can seem when it, it's done right but how much of a nightmare it is when they don't line up so um yeah so uh, what i can say is it's it's going it's going ahead as planned we're we're we're, we're exactly where we we thought we would be at this point and so we're continuing on that roadmap um until uh, until launch and hopefully if things keep going the way they are um i think we'll have something you know pretty um pretty magical in our hands hopefully people will think so too Awesome. Now, while while people are waiting on on awakening, uh, as we mentioned, we've got all the other avenues to kind of get into this world. Where is where's the best place for people to to get the, the book or the um, the comic book series or, or whatnot? Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> right now, if you go to unknown9.com, uh, you'll be able to find uh, we're, we're giving, you know, you can link to the podcast, but you can also find them. Uh, on your favorite podcaster, like, you know, either Apple or any of them. Um, the novel, you can actually buy it on Amazon or, you know, through any, again, any of the the, the big bookstores. But if you go to our website, we also, uh, we gave out like uh, in sections, uh, the PDF version of it. Uh, and same thing for the comic. The issue one is out and you can get the full issue if you go to our website. Just go to unknown.com and we're doing that um, intentionally, like we really want fans to start diving into this universe and we really want them to, to start by, by consuming these, these, these different products that so we want them to start seeing how, how deep the world goes and how, um, our unique narrative approach sort of connects all of these things together. Awesome. Well, well, that does it for my questions about the game. And, well, not just the game, but this whole universe that we've been talking about. Um, but uh, that, that leads us into the last section of the podcast, which is, is one of my favorites. Um, 
and uh, it's it. I guess it's because it's it's high stress and and no rewards. Uh, but the, the first question <laughs> is pretty simple, but not necessarily easy to answer. And that is, if you could go drinking with any video game character, who would you like to grab drinks with? Uh, that one's easy. It's probably Ezio. Okay, fantastic. A particular version of Ezio? Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, maybe, uh, maybe Assassin's Creed 2 Ezio. Okay. You know, when his, uh, when, when his, uh, his, uh, still very much a dreamer and mm-hmm. uh seems like a good guy to go go grab a drink with uh sure. you know i i think older Ezio, though i think i i do prefer the the older Ezio character i think that, uh, that there's a uh, there's a really cool depth to the character that was you know built throughout all the games but uh uh not necessarily the funnest Ezio. Right. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic uh well if you could replay any video game over again for the first time and, and get that first time experience you don't have to worry about it aging poorly or anything like that mm-hmm, you just mm-hmm. get to you get to replay it again for the first time what would that be probably legend of zelda mm. the the first one i assume yeah okay yeah yeah because uh we we often forget how um we take a lot of stuff for granted you know before legend of zelda games were not about you trying to figure stuff out right you know the the, the way that the, the game starts with that screen where you don't have a weapon you can't do anything except move around there's a cave and so you see it you go like oh i guess i'll go there because it's you know the first place that i spot and as you go there this you know wizard or this wise man gives you a sword and uh set you know set forth an adventure but just doing that the message that it's conveying is this is a different game in this game, you're going to have to earn everything and you're going to have to find it. Mm-hmm. And I think it was done in such an elegant way. And I think that game was opened up a lot of the doors to like so many possibilities. And um, yeah, for me, I was, I was a kid when I played it and it was, it was a magical experience to me. I, I, I imagine realizing, I, I sort of envisioned when playing that game where the industry could go. And that's the, the moment where I decided that, you know, whatever happens, like I, I would like to do that for a living. I want to make mm-hmm. games. Nice. Like that. There, there's something about the, the kind of natural tutorials of, especially yeah. the, uh, the early days of Nintendo, like the, the first screen of Zelda basically telling you how to play the rest of the game in a way. Yeah. And the, yeah. the first, um, you know, not even not even the entire like World One One, but just the first few, it's thirty seconds of playing that, um, of playing that level lets you know everything that you need to know about how to control yep. Mario. Um, it, it games just don't do that anymore. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, well, they've gotten a little bit more complex. They have, so it, they have. it's, uh, it's but, but Nintendo's still really good at doing that, though. They are. I gotta say, it's yeah. very true. It's very true. Um, well, so is there a, a blind spot in your uh, video game kind of repertoire and the, I don't know, what you've played that, uh, it's, you know, it's a franchise, maybe a genre or a series that you want to have played or feel like you need to or people are constantly telling you that you need to play this series of games or whatever? Um, what, if, if that were the case, what, what would that game franchise genre be? Um, I wouldn't say franchise. Well, yeah, it sort of is a franchise, but uh, I, I never really got into Watch Dogs. And, okay. um, and uh, now that uh, Legion is out, because of 
Um, well, just because of the fact that, uh, you know, like the connection with Far Cry 2, Clint Hawking, creative director of that game, Absolutely. as he did Far Cry 2. So, I mean, just for that, I, I, I know Clint's approach and, uh, you know, to, to game design and to, to, to all that stuff. So I'm, I'm definitely very curious uh, about trying that out. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Um, now, what would be a, a good trend in video games that you like in this? This is isn't necessarily something that actually is a trend, uh, but it, it's something that you want to see more of in video games. And it can be studio practices. It can be, it can't be transmedia storytelling because that's, that's the <laughs> thing you're doing. Uh, it's, um, uh, it can be gameplay elements. It can be genre mashups. It can be whatever the case may be. Just anything in video games that you feel like there should be more of it. Um, <clears throat> I think that uh, um, I really like emergent stuff. Uh, I like the fact that, um, um, you know, when you build an open world, uh, you know, the, 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 the cool thing about an open world is, is that it allows, it, it allows you to create a, a systemic playground. And I feel that a lot of, a lot of our, our, our reflexes are still to um, over, over guide the player or narrate or, or, or be telling individual stories within that world when, in fact, I think that if you put the right ingredients in play, um, players can actually craft their own stories there. And I, I think that this is this is something that will um, improve as as this industry moves forward. And I think the more it improves, the more we're really going to start getting into that area where we're really building real worlds. It it will really feel like you're you're stepping into a world and you're its real protagonist, whether rather than following um, the breadcrumbs that you know us designers will have laid out the player and I, I don't think we're there yet but I, I think you, you're starting to see more of that stuff and I, I definitely think that that I'd like to see more of that okay very cool very cool um, now what about the reverse what's a, a bad trend or a trope or something in video games that you wish you could see less of hmm. that's a good question um, uh, I mean, I would say the, the, uh, um, uh, uh, microtransactions, I gotta say, okay. like, uh, like, uh, just like, uh, um, there, there's, you know, there, there's a certain, um, you know, I have this idea that if you, if you actually pay money for something and you're getting an experience, um, you know, unless it's really aesthetic stuff and people do it just because, you know, if you want to do it, do it. But when it, when it's too tied into the actual core of the game, I think it, 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 I think it's, um, I personally think it's a cheap way of, of, uh, of, um, I, I don't think it's a, it's a, it's a business model that is healthy for neither the companies that are making them or the players. Sure. Um, yeah. So d does that mean that Awakening is not going to have microtransactions? Well, I mean, Awakening is not that kind of game, right? Okay. So, I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't think microtransactions... So, sometimes microtransactions yeah, but... get shoved into games that they're not that kind of game. So. Yeah, yeah, no, but, you know, and like, and like I said, if, if uh, you know, if you, you want to create skins or whatever and sell that stuff, that's a different thing. It's when you start... Sure. Um, and because players can do it or not, it doesn't really make a difference. I mean, it's it's up to everybody to do what they want. But it's just when when yeah, like I said, when that stuff gets really integrated into the core of the game, then it, it becomes a nuisance. And uh, sure. yeah, no, yeah. we're not going to have that. Yay! <laughs> 
Uh, so you have gotten to do a lot of interesting and fun things. You you studied physics and you now read physics books for fun. You have been the creative director on multiple games at Ubisoft. You're now spearheading your own venture with Unknown Nine. You've worked with Cirque du Soleil. Uh, you've done a lot of stuff. But if there's any other profession that you would like to try, um, what what would you like to do? Any other profession that I'd like to try. Um... I think that if I, if I, what, there's actually a lot of things that, that, that interest me. One thing that I would love doing is, uh, um, I think that we're, we're, we, um, there's a whole lot of, uh, the, the, anything that has to do with, with, with helping people. Uh, there, there's this whole, um, there's so many causes that need somebody to spearhead them. Like there, there's so many things that I think that can be done that are super gratifying that, um, that that can actually help um, the stuff that, uh, that, that I think the stuff that is is currently like the red flashing lights that that that, that are happening in society, you know, be it you know deforestation or any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So if if I if I were to you know pivot and you know like not do my passion like which is you know what I'm doing now and to right. do something else, it would be because it's vocational. It would be something where. I would be focusing on something that I think needs to be addressed in terms of, uh, in terms of for the for the the, the overall uh, benefit of, of of society. Okay, awesome. Now the uh, the final question: your your drinking buddy is uh, Ezio Auditore de Firenze. Uh, you get to ask him one question, and he responds. Uh, and I assume you have a, an intimate knowledge of Ezio, so this should this should be really great. What what is your question? And how does he respond? Uh, what's it like jumping? Uh, what's it like jumping from uh, from the top of a uh, uh, a tower in Firenze into a haystack? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's, what is it like? Um, I don't know. I, I, I sort, of, sort of have a fear of heights. So, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, like I, I wouldn't be the one. That's why perhaps, maybe that's why that came to mind. I, I wouldn't be the first thing that I would do. <laughs> um, you just live vicariously through him. Don't don't want to find yeah. out for yourself. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, Alex, that, that does it for the show, for uh, the end game and all of this. Thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with me um, about uh, Unknown 9 as well as a bunch of other stuff. If you could send us out by letting people know again when, or, or not when, but where they can go to find out more about this universe. Yep, just uh, go to unknown9.com and uh, you'll get everything that you need. Fantastic. Well, thank you once again for, for chatting with me um, about Unknown 9 and wish you guys the best of luck as you continue to work on the novels, the comics, the podcast, the game, all of the stuff that you've got on your plate. It sounds super interesting and I look forward to uh, being able to dive into it in the future. Thank you so much, Jonathan.